From API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. I'm your host, John Bisney. Today we're reaching into our electronic mailbag and responding to some of the questions you've submitted to energytomorrow.org and our related websites. And to help answer them, we have API's chief economist with us, John Felmy, and our fuels issues manager, Al Minato. And Al, we have a number of questions about motor fuels. It's a popular topic with consumers, so let's start with you. We have several people who've asked about the proper storage of gasoline. Um, just in, How do you store gasoline? How long can you store it? How should you do it? Uh, gasoline should be stored in approved containers. They're uh, approved by EPA so that they hold the gasoline properly. And uh, if you store it in a cool uh, environment, you could actually store gasoline for quite a long time, and and even even uh, as far as a year. But uh, you have to store it properly, and and properly means the container should be about 95% full. Uh, and it should be stored with the little vent closed because if it's opened, you get evaporative emissions, and and you don't want those evaporative emissions. You open that vent to use the container so that the gasoline flows properly into the lawnmower or however you're using it. And um, and and again, the question there are questions about storing it in the sun or not in the sun, and really you should store it in a cool place in a closed container indoors, and, and uh, that works well for most people. You know, when I was a kid, it, it seems that they were all metal gas cans, and today they're all plastic pretty much. Is that, uh, is that the trend, I guess? That's, that's definitely the trend. Uh, gasoline now has, has additives and, uh, you know, sometimes can be corrosive to some types of metals. And just to be cautious, uh, most of the approved cans are, are plastic. And an interesting question to follow up that, why does it go bad? Why does gasoline go bad? I thought that was interesting. Well, again, it's it's a it's a function of evaporation, and gasoline are made up of many different components, and uh, you just can't store them indefinitely. And but it it gets gummy, doesn't it? Isn't that? It does. It 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 uh, it breaks down, and it's really not designed to to store for a long period of time, and that's the that's a real issue. All right, uh, John Felmy, another question. Uh, let's turn to you for a minute. Uh, several people have written in to say, why hasn't the industry? built a new refinery to give us more gasoline in the U.S. in the past 30 years. What's going on there? Well, there's several factors that, that come to play. The first is that uh, for a long period of time, refining had very poor margins. It was a very low return to investment for their shareholders. Uh, and so we've also had extensive opposition to building industrial facilities like refineries anywhere in the U.S. So that's the second factor. But it's important to know that while we haven't built a new refinery since 1976, uh, the industry has expanded the existing refineries inside the fences, the equivalent of a new refinery every year for the last 10 years. And on the drawing board, there's an equivalent expansion plan uh, in place. Uh, so we'd like to see more refinery capacity. We'd like to see a refinery in some parts of the country where we don't have one, uh, but it's a big challenge. All right, Al, let's go to another question for you. It's about ethanol, uh, not added in refineries, added a little bit downstream, but talk about ethanol. When was it introduced in, into the gasoline market? Ethanol, uh, actually been using ethanol for, for quite a long time, but uh, in 1978 there was a waiver uh, approved by EPA under the Clean Air Act that allowed up to 10% ethanol blends to be used in, in gasoline. And in 1982, they extended that waiver to include uh, blends of ethanol at less than 10%. So uh, in, the, in the modern era, you, it goes back to 1978. And that was a time, if you remember, uh, right after the oil embargo, 
ago when we were phasing out, beginning to phase out lead and gasoline, and ethanol is a good octane booster and gasoline extender, and that's why refiners began to go to that product. How much is used today? Today, well, last year we used 5.4 billion gallons. Uh, the standard that Congress had passed in the energy bill was for 4 billion. We used 5.4 billion last year, and uh, more ethanol capacity has been put online this year. So we don't have the exact figures, but uh, um, there will be more than 5.4 billion used this year, and it's being used in almost 50% of the gasoline right now. All right. Uh, as a follow-up, can you explain to our listeners why different motor fuels are dyed various colors? Uh, um, uh, motor fuels, uh, and it's really on the on the distillate pool, uh, are dyed red because of the IRS regulations, and uh, um, there are taxes that are associated with the on-road uh, vehicles, uh, on-road fuel, and so if you have a fuel that's going to be used in an off-road uh, setting, then you dye it red, uh, and that indicates that it doesn't have to be taxed. All right, speaking of taxes, John Felmy, we have a question from Sarma who writes, shouldn't the U.S. reduce gasoline consumption by boosting gasoline taxes and diesel taxes would make it more expensive, just as they are in Europe? And then, Sarma writes, wouldn't this raise enough revenue to let the government reduce the prices of other essential items or lower income taxes for everybody? Well, Sarmer's correct in that uh, U.S. and Europe have different taxation schemes and goals uh, for fuel. In Europe, uh, they add taxes the equivalent of 3 to $4 a gallon more than we do, and they use it for a whole host of things, such as their social programs and uh, the types that, that Sarma mentions. Here in this country, however, we have a much lower tax. It only works out to about $0.46 cents a gallon, federal and state, 18.4 federal. Uh, and it's used primarily for rebuilding roads and bridges and the infrastructure. So it's two totally different systems. Now, you could raise the tax, and that could reduce consumption of gasoline, but virtually every politician that we've heard from has said that that's politically not viable. It's a regressive tax, so it would hit the, the lower-income folks much harder as a share of their income, and there just doesn't seem to be a willingness to move down in that direction. And there seems to be a suggestion, I think, in this question, couldn't we raise gasoline taxes and then use that for all sorts of budgetary purposes as opposed to just funding the highway trust fund as it does now? That absolutely seems to be the direction of the question, and the country has chosen not to do that for the last many decades uh, because they feel that the taxes for gasoline should be used for the users of gasoline for the roads and bridges that they use. All right, Al, we have a question for you from Richard. He's asking us, at what point in the distribution system are additives put in the gasoline so that that gasoline fits the specifications of individual company brands? That, that's a good question. Generally, uh, our, our distribution system is a fungible system, and that means that the pipelines move products in large groups so that different refiners may put their product into these fungible pipelines, and then, like at a bank, they'll get their gallons out at the other end, but they're not necessarily the same gallons they put in. Uh, therefore, in order to differentiate the different types of gasoline and the different uh, manufacturers, 
additives that are um, uh, associated with each uh, manufacturer are put in at the terminal level. The terminal level is the place where the gasoline is broken out of bulk. That is, the pipeline comes to a terminal. The terminal is where the large uh, trucks come to get the gasoline and bring it to the gasoline station so, so that uh, those additive packages and those differentiations occur at the terminal level. So I think the key thing to remember there is even though uh, the gasoline pool may come largely um, unchanged, it is at that terminal point that companies can put in these additives to really differentiate their brands. Exactly, and, and they do that. They, uh, you know, you see ads for different different types of gasoline, and the and the manufacturers have different uh, proprietary additives that they put into their gasoline to make it uh, their own. How come we have three grades of gasoline anyway, Al, at the pump when you pull up? Well, uh, the primary reason is for octane purposes, and and uh, we have high-test gasoline uh, to meet the needs of vehicles that require more power and more performance. So uh, when a, a person buys a new vehicle, they can look in their manual, and the manual tells them the type of gasoline, unleaded, mid-grade, or or uh, premium that they are, that vehicle is required, um, and uh, that's the typical reason. And then you have something called octane creep, which is uh, over time some vehicles may need additional octane as they get older. Uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't often occur, but it does occur. So um, and nor and octane. Uh, Keeps the enough octane in the vehicle keeps the car from knocking that noise when you press down on the gas tank, say going up a hill or in, in acceleration mode, and you hear a knocking sound within your engine. That's not good for the engine, and enough octane in the vehicle keeps the uh, that knocking from occurring. All right, we have a comment here that I'll direct uh, to John. This is from uh, Tom, who writes, and he acknowledges this is more of an opinion than a question. I feel oil companies have to be setting prices. He says they're banking the money so that when we're forced into an alternative fuel, then they'll still be in the fuel business and the price of fuel will be very high. How, how do you respond to that? Well, unfortunately, uh, a lot of folks just simply don't understand the oil industry, and, and we as an industry have done a poor job of explaining ourselves. If you look at how prices are set, they're by markets. As recent studies have indicated, it's markets that determine the prices for gasoline or, for that matter, for any other commodities. And what companies do is respond to these market forces and try to manage their businesses properly. It's also a case to remember that these companies are not owned by space aliens. They're owned by millions of Americans and those are the folks who will benefit from the operations of these companies, whether it be retirees or millions of other Americans who put their hard-earned savings into the companies. All right, Al, let's wrap it up with one last question for you. This is on ultra-low sulfur diesel. Uh, a, a visitor to the website writes, does ULSD, this new ULSD fuel, make it harder to start my truck in the winter? And he also comments he doesn't get the same uh, miles per gallon as he did with the earlier diesel product. Uh, it really, uh, starting in the winter, uh, isn't a function of the ultra-low sulfur diesel. It shouldn't make it harder to start the vehicle. In terms of the fuel economy, uh, there is a little bit less energy in the ultra-low sulfur 
uh, diesel compared to uh, the low sulfur diesel, and it, it amounts to about 1% less energy content. So that 1% less energy content on average will uh, result in about a 1% uh, loss in fuel economy. So again, very, very small, um, but if you're a large fleet operator or in, and you're measuring your, your uh, fuel economy very closely, you will be able to see that 1% is, is lost in the noise for most, uh, most motorists, but uh, it is a real impact. Al, just remind us for a minute why we use ULSD. Sure. Uh, we use ULSD because it's required by federal regulations, and EPA has required ultra-low sulfur diesel in order to enable the new diesel vehicles to meet the very stringent uh, tailpipe standards that the gasoline vehicles meet. So the ultra-low sulfur is an enabler for the, that new technology to meet very stringent standards and significantly reduce emissions from those diesel vehicles. All right, great. Well, we're out of time for today. It's been very interesting, though. Thank you. Um, folks, keep those cards, letters, and emails coming in. Whatever's on your mind, take a moment, let us know. We'll be happy to answer your questions on a future program. My guest today, API's Chief Economist, John Felmy, and our Fuels Issues Manager, Al Minato. Gentlemen, thank you both. Thank you. thank you. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.